0: Amazing Grace Kona Welcome you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Would you grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and then to the Greek or the Gentile. So first salvation is to the Jew. And Paul, the apostle, being a Jew, understanding the law, he said, God gave us that promise, but it wasn't just to the Jew. He said it was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so we're going to see later on in the book of Romans, Paul will actually explain our role as Gentile believers is to be a stimulus to Jewish people. We're actually supposed to provoke them by love to draw near to God. And I've used the example of of Pastor Chuck Smith having his grandson wouldn't come to grandpa. You know, grandpa's like their grandkids that come to them when they come in the door and he's like trying to get the boys, attention. he wouldn't come. So he changed his tactic. He took the granddaughter and he just put all his attention on her. And as soon as he did, guess what happened with the boy? Oh, he was like, push her out of the way, let me in. I want to sit on grandpa's lap. You know, I'm important too. It was so brilliant to me that relationship just showed how we can be as Gentile believers. If you have a Jewish friend and you're like saying you wanna encourage their faith, just share how you feel close to their God. Their daddy is your daddy. Because we are, it says, Jews by adoption as Gentiles. We're grafted in as wild olive branches. And so we come along and go, man, I'm so glad for you Jews. of you guys, we get to draw near to God and, oh, I feel so close to him. Don't you feel close? And they're like, wait a minute, how come you're closer than me? And hopefully that will stimulate them to want to have faith. Because if you want to get argue a Jew over points of the scripture, guess what? They usually know him better than you. And they probably will kill you in the debate factor. They're wired for debate. I tell you, you can't use the law to argue. You need to learn What Paul will come to explain later, that we are under a spirit of grace. The law of grace, not of the letter of the law, but of the spirit of grace of the law. The law says that we should take a day a week to rest, a Sabbath. How many of you take one day off a week? Mandatory, don't do anything. Just honor God and rest all day. I gotta tell you, even the pastor has struggles with this. I know in my head, would this be good for my body to do? Absolutely. But do I do it well? Not always. There's always something coming up. There's always something. And and if I would do the holy days like the Jews do, I've shared this before, but you know that if you're a good Jew, between those 52 Sabbaths a year, you add that to the Feast of Booths and to the Feast of Tabernacles and to the Passover and to Yom Kippur, right? You put together all the five biggies of the Jewish calendar, the holy holidays. You wind up taking a whole third of your year mandatory rest. Don't do anything. And do they do well financially? The big argument from the American Christians is, I can't take that much time off. How could my business survive? How could I make money? My dad used to say to me when I was little, and I never understood it, work smarter, not harder. And I just kept working harder. And I realize now as I'm going to, I need to listen to the spirit of the law and take a vacation when I should recharge the battery and just having gone with our family on that last minute cruise that we got was such a blessing because my spirit got refreshed and that's something that I go okay I got to do this better I repent it sounds weird to say I'm telling you this because later I'll get in a rut and I'll keep working you guys got to tell me remember what you said that we should do see and I don't want to be the kind of leader that says do as I say But not as I do. I want to be the the man that says, like Paul did, you want to know how to do this? Imitate me, he says, be an imitator of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Just copy me. Now, that means you better be copying the Lord and setting a good example. And I think there's a trust issue there. Like if I don't work all those days, if I don't work straight for six weeks and not take a break, that somehow God, he won't be able to provide for me. Is that true? No. No. In fact, on the day before the Sabbath, on the Jewish calendar, that's their Friday. They call it the day of preparation. They're allowed to gather double that day only so that the next day they're kicking back. And he used that whole manna thing, not spoiling for two days' worth. Only on Friday did it work. Any other day of the week, if they gathered more, spoiled. He was teaching them, every day I will provide. And on the day of preparation, I'll provide double so on the Sabbath you can rest. The spirit of the law teaches me to just look at the law and say, hey, why is God telling us that? The Bible says he knows our frame. And he is mindful that we are but dust. He knows we need a little recharging. So when I look at the law, when I look at the scripture, I want to look for the things that the spirit of that thing is saying. And I love this verse because Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of, of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. It's not an exclusive thing, it's for everyone. Now I really like the next verse because I know the background of it from the Old Testament and I'm gonna take a little time to show you it, okay? Because he's gonna say in the very next verse, verse 17, for in this, in the gospel, he says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, it says, the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, as it is written means it was written somewhere. This is a quote from somewhere else. So, if you have cross references, some of you'll see little notations down at the bottom or right next to the verse. And you might notice it says H A B, Hab, which is short for Habakkuk in the Old Testament. He's one of the minor prophets. I love the name Habakkuk in Hebrew because Habakkuk, he would be cool in Hawaii. It means embracer. It's embracer because the person is filled with the love of God. It's like the guy who is the spiritual embracer because of God's love. It has like this really positive connotation. If you were Habakkuk growing up and you came in the room, what's your name, Habakkuk? They'd be like, oh, you're cool. Embracer, like the one that has God's love motivating to give that hug. Isn't it nice to get that hug from someone that has that love? The auntie or the uncle. It's just like, oh, well, that's Habakkuk. And he's the prophet that the Lord sent to speak to the southern kingdom of Judah, started around 609 BC. Habakkuk was sent to the southern kingdom to prophesy against them because the northern kingdom. The 10 tribes, it's technically nine and a half and two and a half, but we'll just make it easy math. 10 to the north for Israel and the southern kingdom is called Judah and it's two and a half of the tribes down in the south. And that's where, by the way, Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has already been carried away into captivity by the Assyrians because they didn't listen to the Lord. The Lord sent prophets to them and said, break off your wickedness or I'm gonna bring judgment. Now, does God ever do that with us? Does He send warnings first before He brings down the hammer, so to speak? I mean, He always does. He's faithful. And here He's telling them over and over. And now the Southern Kingdom, which had some good kings for a little while, and in the Book of Kings and Chronicles, will be like good king, bad king, good good, bad bad, but good bad, good bad. It flip flops back and forth between a great regime to a horrible, wicked regime. And unfortunately, by the time we get to 609 BC, we're at wicked again. And it's uh, Jehoaz is the king. He's so wicked, he gets three months of reign, and he, the Lord gets him out. And then there's another fella. This is in 2 Kings 23. Then this guy gets put in Elikim, the son of Josiah, in place of Josiah, his father. And he gets his name changed to Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim gets taken away. To Egypt, because he gives a tax to Pharaoh, because Pharaoh is saying, "I'm taxing you guys." And God uses the enemies of Israel as a a paddle. I don't know what else to call it, something to spank them to say, "Straighten up!" And so they are getting a good paddle, and the Lord's telling them, "Straighten up, or I'm going to carry you guys away into captivity." Oh, I forgot to mention, when Habakkuk was prophesying, he was saying, "You guys better get it together, or God's going to bring a judgment." he's going to bring the Chaldeans against you. The Chaldeans are over in Babylon, like 400 miles away. And they're not really in a power place yet in the world. And the Lord's saying, I'm going to make that king way over there be my next paddle. Only he's going to be a big paddle, you know, with wiffles in it and the whole thing and big time, you're going to get a whooping. And so the Lord has Habakkuk prophesy against Israel. And he says, you guys have got to break away your sin. Interestingly enough, he's the one that Paul is quoting here saying, A righteous man shall live from faith to faith. But he picked half of the verse out of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. He didn't do the first part of the verse. And if you know what's going on, Israel's wicked. The Lord's sending prophet Habakkuk to, to prophesy. And before that, he had sent another prophet. And after Habakkuk, well, I kind of I'll call him the contemporary handoff. The baton's going to go from Habakkuk. To Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is going to spend the next 40 years prophesying, repent, repent, repent. Do they repent? No. But here in the days of Habakkuk will come about something that will tie together some of the Bible for you. Habakkuk is the guy prophesying against Judah saying, you guys better stop your sin or God's going to bring judgment. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians are going to come and take you. And sure enough, in his day, the very first invasion by Nebuchadnezzar will come about. And this is when Daniel, remember his buddies that get renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Those three guys and Daniel and a few others will be carried away by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon, 605 B.C., so when Habakkuk prophesies this, let me read this. See, this is written about 607. If you if you want to like people like me, I like to know the chronological day. I can kind of pin it on the timeline in my brain and go, okay, couple years before they get carried away, Daniel's going to be carried away. Jehoaz had just been creep, three months of rain, terrible, wicked guy. God took him out. And then Yehokim, who's going to replace him, is going to do even more evil. So he'll get paddled by the Egyptians. And God is going to then speak to them. And I don't know how it's, it's a strange thing. They don't seem to hear. You've never had a kid that you paddled and said, straighten up. And they didn't hear, right? They always hear, right? You tell them straighten up and they understand. And well, Israel as a nation was like a really bratty kid that wasn't listening. And here's what Habakkuk, the embracer of God, speaks to them. Would you look with me at Habakkuk chapter two, verse three, I can bring this into context that really brings out some richness when we turn back to Romans, but I got to put you in the moment for this. Here he says, for the vision is not yet for the appointed time. It hastened, he said, towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man, and and so that he does not stay at home, and he enlarges his appetite like Joel. He's like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all the nations. He collects to himself all the peoples. By the way, who is collecting peoples at this point? Nebuchadnezzar. And will not all of these take up a taunt, a song against him, every mockery and and insinuation against him and say, woe to him who increases what is not his for how long and makes himself rich with loans. And will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you'll become plunder. Plunder for them because you have looted many nations and all the remainder of the people's will loot you because of the human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to all the towns and its inhabitants. So God was saying, I'm going to take care of Nebuchadnezzar anyway. Does Nebuchadnezzar get taken care of in the end? We know because we got history, yeah. But before it ever took place, God said, the guy who's collecting nations, that Nebi guy, I'm going to take care of him. But I want you to notice this. The verse that says a, a righteous man will live by faith. Lots of people quote that verse from Romans, but I like what it says right before. I mean, he plucked out half of of the verse there, verse 4 of this chapter, because it says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. When a person is proud, their judgment gets askew. In fact, even in the New Testament, this application comes out so clearly that we have to be careful. The Bible warns us not to walk pridefully. What does the proverb say? Pride goes before the fall. You know, the haughty spirit before destruction. You don't want to get your nose too high in the air so I'm better than those other people. I'm so good. When you do that, this is a setup for a trip. You're going to go down. And instead of being prideful and arrogant in our ways, it says that the right way to live is by faith. And when it comes to living by faith, faith is a walk of humility. It's not something that we get to boast, we're so good. In fact, we've studied in Ephesians, it said, Paul says, we're saved by grace through faith. He says, not of works lest any of us could boast. We can't say, I'm saved because I'm so good and I did all these special things. No, it's just a gift of God. And we got to be humble about it. Does God want to give that gift of salvation just to the Jew or just to the Gentile? No. For how many that believe? Oh, and we can't get haughty and think it's just for me or I'm better than the other person. And I hate to tell you this, but even when it comes to the gospel, some of you are snooty. And you need to repent because the gospel is for everyone. I don't care what position in life they are how much money they have or don't have, how they dress or don't dress. God said the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, not just for the best dressed or the ones with the best jobs or the ones that make a good income and contribute to society. The gospel's for everyone. And Habakkuk said, we're supposed to live from faith to faith, right? The righteous man lives from faith to faith. But he said right before that, the same verse, behold, the proud one, his soul is not right within him. There's something wrong with us being prideful about our faith. We can't act like we're better than someone else because we have faith and they don't. Or we have our own special slant on the faith that those other guys don't have. So we're more, we're up here and they're down here. Is that the right attitude? in the gospel. The proud one, it says, his soul's not right. It's not the right way to be. There's a verse in James, what James says, be careful in verse one of chapter two, he says, my brethren, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Verse two of James, he says, for if a man comes into your assembly with gold rings and dressed in fine clothes, and there comes in a man that's poor, in dirty clothes, James said that they paid special attention to the rich guy. And they said to him, here, you sit here in the good place. And to the poor man, they said, "Uh, you stand over there, you know, or sit down in the back or by the footstool. And James rebukes the church. He tells him, verse four of James chapter two, have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil motives? He says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world To be rich in faith. You know, one thing about a poor person is they are way more rich in faith because every day they're counting on God to just get them through the day. And they see the miracles of the hand of God provide for them. They seem to be more grateful. I mean, on a whole. I'm not saying every one of them is, but on a whole, I've seen a lot more grateful poor people and a lot of entitled rich people if you get an attitude that you are better than anyone else, let me just point this out from Habakkuk because this might help your week this week. Habakkuk says that that prideful person doesn't have his soul right within him. He goes on and described it, but he describes them as a person that is sitting there having an appetite that is never satisfied. Their appetite grows and it's never, it's like shoal, he says. It's like death, never satisfied. And he gathers to himself all this stuff and collects all this stuff, and yet there's no rest. To the person who acts like they're better than someone else, let me point this out. They will never have in their spirit, inside, this place of satisfaction, this place of rest for their soul. They won't be at rest inside. Now, how valuable is being at rest in here for you? Is it good for us, you know, when we're angst and stressed out? And and by the way, some of you are stressed out because you're judging other people. You're thinking you're better than them. We cannot become prideful. And by the way, if we do, if you act like, yes, I'm here to study the book of Romans and become better than everyone else, you know, we're going to learn it verse by verse in depth and now I'm somehow holier than the other Christians. You're not going to be satisfied no matter what I teach you. You're not. But if you can receive this right now, that we are all, all looked at as equal in the eyes of the Lord, we are all granted this great favor of God, the good news of the gospel, that he came to give salvation to everyone. And if we just start with that humble attitude Paul said it, he was just saved by grace through faith. He he knew it's the grace of God. And if God could save him, his attitude was, can God save anyone else? Yeah. And if we could stay humble, you will get so much more out of the book of Romans because it really does take a humble heart going in to really come out with such deep richness. This book will enrich your life of all the books of the New Testament, to take a person and help them out of struggles when they're struggling with, say they're stuck in bad habits and they need to be transformed into a new style of life, a freedom from those things. You're not going to receive the truth that's in here if you're going in like this. Good thing I'm here. They need me. I'm better than everyone else. If you act like that, your soul's not right within you. And you're going to miss out on so much what God has. And I have seen so many people be used in our little fellowship, extending a hand of mercy to someone who's passing by that's having a really bad time. There's a man that was here this morning, Daniel. He asked if he could get up here and share in a couple of weeks. He wanted to tell the homeless that he was homeless, that he was on drugs. He said, I looked to the man upstairs and said, I need your help. And now this week he starts a job making seventy thousand a year in Waimea. He's gotten clean. He's like, God help me! I want to tell him that you you just gotta get my eyes off myself and look to the one that can save me. And that's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, if you would have met him a couple months ago, you'd say strung out addict. But does God redeem lives? Yeah and we get the privilege the privilege of sharing the power of god it's wrapped up in this good news that jesus died for all of us let's stay humble about it that way we can share with whoever god puts in front of us whether they're of good st- high stature or low stature in our society doesn't matter god loves everyone amazing grace kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.